I love the challenge of preaching with uh, little children in the room um, and babies. I told Darcy, I think Christmas Eve, is, I always get nervous when I, when I speak, but I get the most nervous at Christmas. And, it, and it's because I have said many things in the 13 years of doing Christmases for Door of Hope that have almost gotten me into a lot of trouble with parents. Um, I, I, I realize that there have been many times where I have almost given away Santa's secrets and, uh, and where Darcy will just give me the death glare like, we don't, no, stop, don't go, you're about to, and then I'm like, and I, somehow I always save it, kind of. Um, but tonight I'm committed to no, no Christmas faux pas. Um, you know, it's funny, that last song we just sang, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, that song, but that song is, uh, is actually a song written by the band. The, uh, they're called the band, but they were the band that backed Bob Dylan. Uh, and the first time I ever led worship for a church, I was a brand new believer, and I'd only been a believer for a few months, and I didn't lead worship, but I was asked to do a special song at the Christmas service, because uh, the pastor knew that I was in this band, and he, was, he liked my band, so he's like, Josh, it'd be cool, and he was just trying to get me engaged in the church. If you did a special Christmas song, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't really understand what's happening when I hear songs played at church right now, and I really didn't, um, and especially at the church I was at when I first became a believer. Uh, and so I picked that song because I thought, well, this one's cool, and it's about Jesus, and I, I, and I realized when I sang it and no one else sang along that these, oh, everyone here is a, was a part of the Jesus movement, and they burned all their records when they got saved and they don't even know who the band is. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, I should have picked a Maranatha track and I failed miserably. Um, let's just admit, that's a better melody than many. Um, well, I, I wanna just share with you really briefly tonight on a topic actually that's been kind of stirring in my heart ever since we at Door of Hope did the series on uh, the, uh, the language that Jesus used uh, to describe himself in the Gospel of John, the seven I am statements. And ever since I talked about Jesus' great statement, I am the light of the world, uh, I have been confronted in, um, by this concept of what does it mean uh, to be the light of the world as a church. For, for as you know, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually made a the exact same statement, but he spoke it over his disciples. And this is the, the birth of the church in many ways. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And that idea of being light, for us, we are reminded that we are, we are secondary light. At Christmas, uh, more than ever, does the world need to see something different in us. In other words, our proximity to this Jesus, the one who... The God, the Son of God who entered into his own creation, taking on the form that human frailty. It says the word became flesh. And that's not just speaking of God identifying with our humanity, but literally the light of the world entering into and making it his own, our brokenness. And when we think of light in the context of this particular moment where we're at in the world, we also think of the darkness, and it was interesting that today was such a dreary day where it seemed like light was fighting to break through. And, and 
I want us to think about this in terms of Christmas because Christmas is a time where we are to, it's funny, Christmas comes in, in the time of year that, that has the, the longest hours of darkness. Um, how many of you have ever been to Alaska in the winter? A few, not many, a few hands. And there's good reason why most of you probably don't even have a desire to go there in the middle of the winter because if you like 40 below and 24 hours of darkness, that might be your cup of tea. Um, and and uh, my, dad, my dad lived up there. I lived there for a year. Um, and I remember being there last February when my father passed. And I flew in at 6 in the morning and uh, pitch black. And my dad passed at 3 p.m. And I went outside and it was already getting dark again. Um, and it never really got light. And it just, it's the, I felt like this kind of oppressiveness uh, that comes with darkness. But I also was struck by this that just the smallest amount of light has the ability to penetrate a large dark space. I picked this picture behind us um, for a reason. It's, it's actually um, Rembrandt's, one of Rembrandt's paintings of the nativity scene. And Rembrandt was actually considered uh, the master of painting light. Uh, some of you may have thought it was Thomas Kincaid. Uh, um, <laughs> And if you like Thomas Kincaid, shame on you. Uh, and you're like, but I like, those cottages are so, they just, I just want to be inside it. That's what my, my Nana likes to tell me. And I'm like, the light's not even coming from normal places. It's not, he it doesn't understand how light works because it's, I swear to you, that's not how light works. And she's like, that's why he's a Christian, it's supernatural. I'm like, no, Nana. <laughs> It's supernaturally poor taste. That's what it is. It's mass production. Um, and then I hurt her feelings, and I'm reminded that that's not very Christian-like. And so then I bring her Rembrandt, and I'm like, she's like, it's so dark, though. <laughs> I don't want to be in that picture. <laughs> but that actually is the mastery of Rembrandt, is the ability to paint this. I mean, notice the, the, the room is so much darkness, and, and the shadows that are cast... Um, on the walls from light, and Rembrandt beautifully portrays the source of light as Jesus himself, this, this helpless baby. Now, I don't believe that when Jesus was born that he, that he was like, remember then that, for those of you who are old enough, you remember uh, that toy like Glowworm? Like, I don't think he was like that. I don't think he was a baby that had just, he just radiated literally light in such a way that he gave light to the room. But Spiritually speaking, that is exactly what the incarnation, which is what we call God's entrance into his own world, is about. It's about light coming into darkness. And I want us to just ask the question then, because I think actually children understand the concept of light almost better than adults. Because light is, is almost an impossible thing to define. You have to get into weird science and physics to even talk about it, and it still doesn't really make sense. But what we do know is we may not be able to explain what light is. We all know it, and we all live by it. And what we are told is that light came into the world, but that people preferred darkness. And the whole reason that Jesus has called you and I to be his people, he doesn't just come to save us from the world, he calls us to himself and he saves us from ourselves so that we can now become the conduit of the gift itself. 
bringing light into the darkness of others. As light comes into our lives and we see the darkness within ourselves, it humbles us. And it brings revelation, not only of God's incredible love for us, but it also brings a revelation of our desperate need for Him. And that need pushes us into a place where we begin to see that the greatest significance of life is not to pretend like we no longer have problems because we've met Jesus. In fact, the closer we get to Jesus, the more the light reveals what's in us, which causes me to even more deeply submit to him because I am helpless without him. And this is the beauty of the light of the world because that's the paradox. This helpless child is our only hope. Jesus enters in, he is God entered into the frailty of human brokenness. And his light is a light that does three things. And this is what I want us to think about. When we think about Christmas, we have to ask what it means for not only Jesus to be the light of the world, but what does it mean for him to be the light of the world in and through us? And some of you might be sitting here because you're because a family member invited you and you don't know Jesus, but I pray that what you experience in the context of a community that believes that Jesus really is the Son of God is what you experience is grace from us because we have been touched by grace. And what I mean by that is if you were to define grace, I just simply define it as love without contingency. We love you. We are, gr we are so grateful that you're with us and we love because we have first been loved. We know what it was like to be in darkness and we know what it now means to be in the light. And that doesn't mean that we've got all our stuff together. It means that we know who we should be depending on to be the one who produces light in and through us. Because like the moon, we don't have any light in and of ourselves. We, like the moon, reflect the sun. Except for us, the sun is Jesus, the son of God. And there are three things that light does. The first thing is that Jesus is a revelation. And what I mean by revelation is he has come to reveal. When you shine a light on something, uh, when, you, when you shine a light on something, you now see what the thing is. And if it was something that was once hidden, it now becomes seen. And everyone, I don't care how old you are, whether you're a child in this room or you're an adult, we know what that means. And what is it that Jesus came to reveal? Yes, he comes to reveal what's in us, to show us what our need for him, but he has come to show us who God is. We're told in Hebrews 1 that God at various times in various ways has spoken, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. That Jesus is the final word of the Father. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. This is why Jesus says, Have I been with you so long, Philip, and still you do not know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so when I talk of Jesus, I like to say there is no God behind the back of Jesus. To see Jesus is to know God. And to know what God is like is to say he is like what we saw in Jesus. And what's fascinating is that Jesus, even though there is much of the world that does not believe that he is the son of God, most people believe that he was some great teacher, some great prophet. Some, someone, I mean, very few people read the Sermon on the Mount and say that that is not a pretty uh, amazing ethic, if one could actually live it, which I don't think you can, but I do think he was able to. Uh, but when we look to Jesus, Jesus is a revelation. What is he like? I, when I think of Jesus, I think of Jesus 
meeting the woman who was accused of adultery and, and brought before him to be stoned for this sin. And he said, who, you, who here um, is without sin can throw the first stone? And everyone put the stones down and walked away ashamed. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they have all left. And he said, neither do I condemn you either. Go from here. Sin no more. In other words, put your trust in me. To the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman that were hated by the Jews, a woman who had been with five different people, living with a man, and, and here is this rabbi, and it was, it was considered unclean for a Jewish person to even talk with a Samaritan. Jesus doesn't just talk with her. He receives water from her, and he gives her the deepest, the deepest teaching we have in the Bible on the, on the essence of what worship is to this, to this woman, because the deepest longing of her heart was, where can I find God? What does it mean? How do I find meaning in this life? Because I can't find it and the things I've been looking for, and I'm thirsty for it. And Jesus said, if you knew the one who was speaking to you, you would ask, and he would give you living water, and you would never thirst again. He illuminates the heart of God. And the heart of God is this, friends, that on your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you. If we only understood how powerful grace is. And see, the thing is, is that we all long for it every moment of every day. But we also don't understand it. Because for most of us, the love that we have received and also the love that we give is contingent upon the other party's performance, whatever that might be, or the other party's expectations. But to be loved no matter what, that is the radical thing that draws people to the living Christ. For we are told in Scripture, it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. And what Jesus came to show us was that there is a God in heaven who loves broken people and he loves you wherever you're at tonight he loves you whether you're experiencing a time of great uh, of great success or highs or you're experiencing the lowest of lows Jesus loves you and his love is not moved one way or the other based upon your performance it doesn't matter if you're in the deepest hole that a person can dig for themselves and you find yourself in the place of lowest despair and greatest heartbreak. He loves you just the same as if you were doing everything perfectly in line with the ethics of, of the world's highest standards. It, nothing changes the dial when it comes to God's love because he doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you because it's his nature to do so. And this is what Jesus came to reveal. This is what light reveals when we talk of the light of Christ. This is why it says in Matthew 4, the people living in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has drawn. But not only does it, is the light of Christ a revelation of who God is, it's also a revelation of what's within us and our need for him. But secondly, light is the very means by which we have guidance to light the path. Have any of you ever tried driving in the, in, in the dark, like turning, tearing your headlights off in, in pitch black and driving? I, I, was, I shared recently in a morning study that I was once on tour and I, I wanted to scare my band, which is always a great thing to do. Um, and, and we were touring through Montana and there was no lights, no lights anywhere. And it was the middle of the night and I just turned off the headlights on the freeway and kept driving. There was no one coming. It was just like a long straight road. 
but you can only handle it for like a couple seconds. You're like, oh man, this is crazy. But the guys kept screaming. Like they actually it scared them to death. They're, and rightfully so. And when I turned the headlights on, there was a deer. Um, so <laughs> I also was doing donuts in I-5 yesterday. So just know that I have a very reckless behavior. There was no one on the freeway. I also was taking selfies of myself and sending it to the staff while I was driving on I-5 because I felt like the light of the world is with me. And in the words of Jonathan Livingston, uh, what's the, uh, not Jonathan Livingston, that's a seagull. Uh, I just went, no, it is, that is right. I am immortal till God calls me home. I am immortal till God calls me home. He just, if I keep acting reckless, it might be very soon. Um, Darcy's like, please don't tell me these stories. Uh, revelation of who God is, but guidance. We need to know where we're supposed to go. Here's the thing with Jesus though, as the light of the world, the importance is that we stay in close proximity to him. The entrance of God into this world is to give us guidance, to help us out of the hole. I always say that no matter how deep of a hole you have dug, God's love goes deeper still. It's the beauty of grace. And Jesus says, now come follow me. And, and it doesn't matter where he's going as long as he's the one that's leading. And if he's the source of light, then the important thing for us is that we just stay close to him. And he wants you to follow him. And what the world needs from us as the church is to be a people that can actually bring, because we are being guided by Christ, we can guide others into, into a safe place, into a safe harbor. Finally, the very presence of Jesus as the light of the world he doesn't just reveal the heart of God. He doesn't just give us guidance. But light is also something else that we don't think of very often. And it, maybe it's the side of light that scares us. And yet it's also one of the great comforts. And this is this, what I like to refer to as sacred romance. Sacred romance is something that is both an adventure and something that is cozy like home all at the same time. And that is light as fire. And fire is something that can terrify us, and it's also something that we love. A fire in a fireplace is a wonderful thing. Fire jumping out of the fireplace onto, the, onto your hardwood floors is a terrifying thing. It, it needs its proper parameters in, in order for it to, to bring what it, what it needs into our lives. And Jesus wants to bring a fire into our lives that doesn't consume us, but, brings, but purifies us. That, that it actually, that, that flame, have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? Isn't it weird that, that you can be angry and we talk about it in terms of like, man, I just felt like my, I was like on fire. I just was burning up with anger. We'll use that phrase. I'm burning up with anger. But also, what about burning up with the flames of love? The, a passion that compels us. Some, someone once said, I think it was A.W. Tozer, that no person should do anything for Jesus until there is a fire burning within them that burns so deeply that they cannot rest until it comes out. And I, I believe that what we need as a church today is that I think that the flame of God's presence has, has it's not snuffed out. And it says in scripture, he will not snuff out a smoldering wick and he can fan it back into flame. But the church, the flame has gotten a little dim in America, maybe even a little bit smoky. 
And we need to have that, the, the flames of love fanned into a furnace again because it is the only thing that has ever brought revival in the history of the church. That if our hearts are not inflamed with the love of God, we're not going to bring that love to anyone else. And I promise you that in a place like Portland, it can be very difficult to maintain love when we see the brokenness around us and the, and the ways in which the world works against the very ideals of the Christian faith. Because we live in a time where everything is about the individual, that you are your own God. But I promise you, nothing will turn the heart colder faster than you trying to be your own master. Because we make terrible masters. What we need is the fire of God's love to become the real motivation for the reason that we live. I've been reminded of that a lot lately. I've spent many years now kind of, I, I feel like, reluctantly, um, uh, reluctantly stepping into the role of God calling me to be a witness in the city and, and a pastor in a church. And, it, and it's almost like the, the prophet Jonah. It's like God can outweigh us and he'll stick you in the belly of a whale. But he wants to use us powerfully. And we could be like Jonah and he can use us in spite of our, our reluctance. He'll, he'll, he's going he's gonna to reach and touch the people that he wants to reach. He's going to, he's going to bring light into the world. And he, he might even do it through you in a state of reluctance. But I don't want to end my life story like Jonah where he's bitter that God used him. <laughs> I want to end my life as one who has allowed the flame of God to actually purify me in such a way that my love, my love has been cleansed by his presence, where I believe once again the vision that he gave me for a revival in the city, where that flame pushes me out into, into a broken world where I don't care what people think if I love Jesus, because if you have something better to offer me, I'd like to hear it. And that's the thing, do we have that kind of confidence that comes out of a person who has been touched by the love of God? Light has come into the world. And in the words of the great English poet Philip Larkin, let's kick up the flames that the fire might break loose. Let us be a people that sit in the light of the world. And may his light actually shine through us so that we can see the love of God not only consume us, but as we catch a flame, May it catch others on fire for Jesus as well. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for this night in which we can celebrate you, the light of the world. And I pray that we would be a people that live with a revelation of who you are. That we would follow you because you are the source of light. And that others would follow follow us because they see the light within us. And I pray, Lord, that you would purify us and set our hearts aflame with your love. We need you, Jesus, and we thank you for your entrance into this world. For the gospel again and again reminds us that it's not about what we do for you, it is about what you have already accomplished for us through your son, Jesus. And so we celebrate your birth, Jesus the son of, eternal Son of God entered into time and space and you were born into this world just like the rest of us. It was miraculous 
but it was real. And you walked on this earth and you put into motion a redemption that cannot be moved. And Lord, I pray that through us, you would continue to fulfill the very word that you promised, that if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. May we lift you up in word and in deed. We love you, Jesus, and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopedx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.